Church of Christ presents Hold Fast to What is Good. The reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman presented on Sunday, September 3rd, 2023. Paul wrote to the community in Rome, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and whole. Please pray with me. Spirit of love, spirit of wisdom, be in the words I speak and in the meditations of all of our hearts. Draw us closer to you. Free us to love one another with unabashed enthusiasm, reveling in all that is good. Amen. Well, as I have already mentioned, I arrived home last week from four weeks of vacation. And as we do almost every year, my husband David and I made the trip to a place called Cooper, Maine, where the Bodman family has a little cabin on a lake, built by David's great-grandfather and renovated over the years in a rather piecemeal fashion. It is a beautiful, blessed place. It is also an entirely normal, average kind of place, just one of the 10,000 freshwater lakes that dot the landscape of the whole northern tier of states in the US. It's very ordinary and very spectacular. To us, it is holy ground. I visited for the first time in 1987. My husband has been going his whole life since the year he was born. And we've missed only two years, 2019 when David took sabbatical and we went to Alaska instead, and 2020 when COVID kept us home. Even that year, during COVID, we visited vicariously because our sons live on the East Coast and they were able to get there without having to fly. So they were able to get to camp and they send us an endless stream of pictures of our favorite places all over the lake. The same pictures we take every year of the same places, year after year. I don't know why we do it quite. Because by now, of course, we know every inlet and rocky outcropping on the lake. We know where the loons nest and the heron fish. We know where the moose will come down to the edge of the water to eat the lily pads. The boys know the best fishing holes, and I know which coves offer the best opportunity to spy a beaver or an otter. For the 11 months of the year between visits, I can close my mind, my eyes, and be there in my mind. I can see the colors at the different times of day. So why, you might ask, do we keep going back? What's the point? Well, even in a place so well-known and beloved, there are surprises and revelations. This year, I took my very first sunrise kayak paddle. I'm not a sunrise wake-up kind of person, but I had to get up at sunrise one day to get kids to the airport, and so I took a paddle. And the light on the water was a revelation. The distances were all different. Everything was new. And this year, for the first time, I saw a snapping turtle just beside my kayak when I was sitting in about a foot of water. She was ancient 
and slow-moving and covered with algae. And she was utterly uninterested in me, which helped me release fears that I have been carrying for about 10 years since the day I was swimming way out in deep water and looked down and saw a snapping turtle beneath me. But she was so calm and uninterested in me that all those 10 years of fear melted away. So even in that place that we know so well, there is new revelation. But more than that, Cadence Lake is our place apart. It's the place where we feel most free to put down whatever is troubling us or worrying us, a place to pause and savor life deeply, the place where we remember who we are. It is a sacred place for yearly Sabbath in exactly the same way that singing hymns is, for me, a weekly Sabbath. And my walking and running meditations are daily Sabbaths. These are the places where I go to be reminded who I am, to be right-sized, where my fears are right-sized. I am both insignificant and beloved, one tiny part of a vast, precious web. I am nothing, and I belong to everything. Now, for many years, that sense of Sabbath on the lake included being voluntarily cut off from the news. We've had electricity for a long time, but we've never had a TV at camp. And by family rule, the radio was reserved to listen to classical music from Canadian or Maine public radio or Red Sox games. On Sundays, we get a newspaper, and my husband looks at sports, and I do the puzzles. And then we recycle it in the fireplace, quick. But a few years ago, when our older son Caleb started his adult working life in DC, for him, being on vacation meant he was allowed to be out of the office as long as he was available to his boss 24-7. So we got Wi-Fi at camp, and the world came pouring in. Happily for us, our service isn't great, and if more than one person is on Wi-Fi, we all tend to get bumped. But still, it's there. The temptation is there. And we have to make the decision to focus on the osprey and the eagles instead of the headlines that are so tantalizingly close on the cell phones in our pockets, which are also our cameras, so, you know, we take them with us. Do not be conformed to this world, Paul wrote, but be transformed. Or, as a more recent prophet, RuPaul, put it, with all the darkness that is going on in the world, you can look at the darkness, but don't stare. Don't stare at the darkness for a long time. It will make you crazy. It will make you cross-eyed. It will make you what it is. Instead, Create, sing, dance, love someone. Create environments where you can find joy, because you can create joy, even while the world is dark. I never thought I'd quote RuPaul. <laughs> but he was spot on. 2,000 years ago, in a world that was also filled with shadows and harsh realities, Paul wrote his letter 
to the gathering of Jesus' followers in Rome. Don't be conformed to this world, he said. Be transformed within it. Keep your eyes and hearts fixed on Christ, attentive to the presence of wisdom, and create a community that is like this, genuine in loving, zealous in serving, hopeful, generous, welcoming, a community so grounded in trust in the resurrection that it is empowered to bless not just the people in it, but the people outside it and the people against it. A community living in evil times, but not overcome by evil. A community designed after Christ, designed to overcome the evil with good. Paul was writing to a community made up primarily of Gentile followers of Jesus, along with a smaller group of Jewish followers, all together in one community. But they hadn't always been in one community, because in about the year 50, the Jews were expelled from Rome, even the Jews that were following Jesus. By the time that they got back, by the time these Jewish followers of Jesus were allowed to come back into the city of Rome, and they rejoined the Jesus community, the Gentiles in that community were with, almost without connection to Jesus' culture and tradition. Paul makes it clear in his letter to the Romans that these Gentile Jesus followers would not have to first convert to Judaism or observe the law in order to follow Jesus. You can imagine how difficult that was for the two halves of the community to live side by side. But Paul was clear on what he thought. These Gentile Christians would not have to be circumcised or follow dietary restrictions. They would not even have to observe the Sabbath, which is a little bit shocking considering it's one of the top ten. In the middle of this controversy about how to combine these two groups into one whole and loving community, Paul has decided to take up a collection of money to send to the church in Jerusalem. He's doing this in solidarity, despite and perhaps because of his difference of opinion with the church in Jerusalem. But things seem not to be going Paul's way as is revealed in the letter to the Galatians, which we didn't read today, but there are some in that community saying that Gentile converts shouldn't have to keep part of the law, but the whole of the law. And they refused to contribute to Paul's collection. It was a wealthy community, but they were not going to contribute because they disagreed with what Paul was teaching. This collection, which was meant to be a show of solidarity from Paul and his mission to the Gentiles, with the Jerusalem branch of the early church was being interrupted by conflict. This is life and death stuff for Paul. Everything is on the line for him. That is the context into which he is writing and inviting people into a community that is generous and loving and zealous in serving one another. It isn't just talk for him. There is a lot to overcome and set aside, looking eye to eye with people who disagree. In this much revered and much misread letter, Paul grounded his message in trust in God's faithfulness. This faithfulness was revealed in Christ, 
and it is revealed in the inclusion of the Gentiles in the new community God is forming, Jews and Gentiles together. Paul's particular mission is to bring this good news to the Gentiles, to draw them in, and to reveal to the whole community God's faithfulness in Jesus. The inclusion is part of God's faithfulness. These people are to be bound together in love, not only for one another, but for the whole world. This, Paul wrote, is the path of life, to see the world in all of its shadow and evil, and to serve the world without being conformed to it. Rooting and grounding ourselves in goodness, rooting and grounding ourselves in the beauty of our Sabbaths, in the beauty of music, and time in nature, not to escape the world, but to be nourished to serve the world. Paul knows that the times he is living in are dangerous. He is, after all, often imprisoned. Yet he writes, do not repay evil for evil. So far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Biblical scholar J. Daniel Kirk in his recent book, Romans for Normal People, wrote this. I quote him at a little bit of length here. For those of us who live in America, and more generally, those who live in communication age Western societies, violence is a core part of our identity. That caught me up short because I don't want it to be true. But he goes on to say, it is part of what we think makes our country great. Again, I don't want to agree, but he goes on. It is how we imagine enforcing peace. And I am reminded that in the wake of World War II, in which American intervention helped to end Germany's war of aggression, in the wake of that, it became easy to assume that the spread of American military bases around the world is benign or even noble without pausing to make close examination of either individual cases or taking a big picture view of exactly how expansive our military has become. At the core of our identity as Americans is the idea that our military power is good. Violence is how we imagine enforcing peace. It's a shocking thing to realize because we think of ourselves and our presence in the world as good. As we saw very clearly in the last presidential election cycle, we as a culture often reward people who bully their way to the top, those who engage in social, emotional, and vocational violence. They make that we, we reward them as much as we reward people who use violence. For some people in our culture, identities are tied to sports teams whose violence leaves players with aching bodies, depleted minds, and sometimes early deaths. Violence and bullying are associated in our culture with manliness, power, and strength. And I would say to the men in the room, that is not the manliness, power, and strength I see in you. 
Manliness, power, and strength are not the problem. Connecting them with violence and violent containment, that's the problem. Kirk goes on, one of our recurring failures is that we have not, we as the church, have not created communities that offer an alternative reality. The reality of the cross, the reality of a God who brings justice by giving life. In other words, instead of living as Christ followers, we have placed the Jesus label on the destructive patterns of the world. We have given the name Christian to a pattern of life that is not Jesus following. Oof. I found myself convicted by Professor Kirk's words. And although 21st century American Christianity is not alone in this failing, the history of the church is rife with examples, 21st century American Christianity is where we live. And it is where we in the progressive church are called to tell a different story about what being Christian means, what it means to be a community of people following after Jesus. I thought of all of this as I was scrolling through Instagram the other day. Yes, I am back at it after vacation. I am scrolling. I was a bit tempted to play a video that I found, and I, which I am about to quote, but the language is a little bit salty, and I thought it might not be right for some of us. But let me point to those of you who are interested to the Instagram account of a woman named Lene Vinay. If you want to know more, please see me after church. Every Friday, she posts a video. She's a black woman educating the world about what that means in America. On last Friday, she was reflecting on the murder of yet another black American, and she started by posing the question, at this point, we just have to call into question why black Americans are being punished for surviving. This one is just really sad. And it begs the question, what did we do to y'all? Inquiring minds want to know. Brought here against our will, forced into slavery, freed but not really, centuries of systemic degradation, all we have done is our best. And, what, and that was cause for you to take to the streets and gun down innocent Americans at the Dollar General. She went on to tell the story of 21-year-old Ryan Palmeter, who went first to an HBCU, a historically black college, to try to kill black students. When he was run off campus by security guards, he went to the Dollar General, which he had scoped out ahead of time to make sure that there would be black people there available for him to kill. And sure enough, he found three black shoppers to gun down. Before he turned his weapon on himself and took his own life, he paused to text his father to make sure that the manifestos he had written, one to his parents, one to the authorities, and one to the media, would be found. He wanted people to know for sure that he did what he did because he hated black folks. Lene goes on to remind her listeners that the language of politicians in Florida where this most recent killing happened is not just empty language. It is contributing to a life-threatening public health issue. There is a direct correlation between Governor DeSantis's words and Palmeter's behavior.
She quotes the activist Hope Giselle who said, we don't need any more allies. We need accomplices. Allies can hold hands, wear the t-shirt, and sing la-di-da, but who of you will stand in the gap with us? Who of you is going to do something? Who is going to do something about it? Steal the blueprints, show us the way, be the lookout, drive the getaway car, and harbor us like the fugitives we are. Only we have committed no crimes, but have been positioned as criminals in the new world order because for some reason, we are its biggest fear. So is it our light or our darkness that most frightens you? Close quote. I cannot do her justice, but I encourage you to seek her out. Because her words spoke directly to my spirit about what we are called to do and be in the world. What would it look like, look like for us to feel ourselves called not just to be allies, rooting for our black and immigrant and houseless neighbors from the sidelines, but accomplices who know that we belong to one another, that we are part of them and they are part of us, and when they are hurt, we are hurt. They are not they, they are us. Holding fast to goodness, nurtured by our practices of Sabbath rest, fed by the word of God in scripture and the word of God in nature, by the presence of the spirit in community and at the communion table, we are called to love zealously and humbly. What a joyful calling. Instead of being conformed to a world committed to violence and injustice, we are called to be transformed into accomplices in the work of goodness. What a blessed calling. What a joyful calling. What hope it offers us, because we are called not to do it on our own, to be together and to be in Christ, who is with us in this calling of being rooted in God's goodness and spreading it in the world. Amen. Listen, listen, God is speaking to us.